Okay, first, I want to just greet everybody that watches uh, via the internet. It's wonderful to know that people are watching, gathering at houses, uh, showing this in churches. Uh, it's an honor to, to have everybody uh, watching this, and, and I trust that you're going to be touched today. Today I'm going to preach on uh, the deepest revelation of God. You might think badly, but can there be such a thing as the deepest revelation about God? And I do believe there is something like that. And that God came to reveal it to us in Jesus. And we're going to... Uh, you know, when I, when I read on these things, I was so amazed to see uh, the depth of God's love and to understand more of how we were made, uh, our original design, and how God functions. You know, when we start to understand how God functions, we start to understand... Uh, we will also start to understand how we function. You know, when God... Uh, spoke to, to man to explain himself. He used the deepest terms of relationship. Things like marriage and family. There's nothing deeper than a husband and a wife. You know, uh, 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 two individuals getting married, becoming one in flesh. You know, this, it's, it's the deepest form of relationship that is known to man. We also get things like like a, a family, a children that is born from, um, from our flesh, you know, from our body. And we, there's, a, there, there's something where the child is separate from you, but you're one. Uh, like between me and Helena, I mean, you cannot separate the two of us. If you say Bertie, you see Helena. If you say Helena, you see Bertie. That is exactly the way it is. And those terms are the terms that God uses to explain his relationship with us. He does not use slavery. He does not use a, a bondage. He uses family terms. I love what Paul says. He, he, he talks about marriage. He says, this is a great mystery. But it actually talks about Christ and the church. Our union with God. Like the teaching I ministered here on, um, for people that, that uh, uh, went through divorce and all those kind of things. We've made such a big thing of the shadow. You know, that we've made the shadow a substance. So that if somebody went through divorce, we think that's the end of our life. No, no, that's just a shadow. The shadow cannot define you. The substance defines you, which is our union with Christ. Um, you know, uh, I want to put this thing last night on Facebook, but I, I didn't have time to do it. I want to say, you know, we want to have a successful marriage without understanding the union there is in God, in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and our union with Him, how we've been included into that kind of fellowship. Um, and that is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about who God is and how He gave us the opportunity to have His quality of life. Amen. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. <clears throat> If we want to understand God for who He really is, let's look at man. The first thing that we need to understand about the way man functions, or let me first talk about this. What kind of a God is God? And what principles does He function on? When we look at the Bible, and the next couple of Sundays I'm going to talk about the Trinity and the importance of understanding the Trinity. Uh, to, to explain the Trinity, you know, there's many people that say that's just a doctrine, um, you know, there's not really something like that. It's very difficult to explain it in human terms. Because if I come to you and I, I, I say to you, uh, listen, I, when I was in America, I ate something that tastes like, then I will use things that we have here that you can have a reference to, you know, that you can taste, uh, that, that you can form an idea of what I saw there or what I ate there. Um, but when I come with something really unique, it will be very difficult to find something that we can relate to, to explain something unique. It's like explaining the color blue to a blind man. How do you do it? It is impossible. It is, it is, it is like eternity. For us, we just believe there's something like eternity, but it cannot be explained. We can explain in terms like, it is time that cannot end. But just the word time, cannot even be used in connection with eternity. It's got nothing to do with time. It talks about existence. 
you know, so it's difficult. We can use some terms to explain it, but, but in our normal terms, how do we understand it? God is one. The Bible says God is one. But the Bible also comes and He says that the Father is God. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is God. And, and Jesus, Paul comes and he prays, he says, I pray to Jesus, my God. So Jesus is also God. So you get the Father, you get the Son, and you get the Holy Spirit. All three of them is, is a different person, personality, but they are all God. It is one. It is like with us. We've got a, a soul, a spirit, and a body. If you say, Bertie, is Bertie three or is Bertie one? You will say, no, Bertie is one. But I am three. I've got three parts to me. You know, I'm, I've got a soul, my, my, my intellect, my mind, my will, my emotions. I've got a spirit, a, a, the, the deepest core of me, born from God. You know, and I've got a physical body that I dwell in. And these three, uh, 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 three things, you want to call it things, are one in one body. The, the biggest scripture to me that I start to realize is when the Bible says God is one. That is one of the most wonderful scriptures there is. We always thought that we said there is only, uh, oh, how can I say it? We, we thought that there's one God. But what he was actually trying to say is, yes, there is one God, but these three different personalities are one. And the most beautiful thing um, that I want to just show you where I'm going to is this, is that we as human beings are, by the fact that God came and became a human being and went into the Godhead in the form of Jesus, we are included in the one. So if God is one, <laughs> what he's actually saying is, the way God is one, the union between Father and Son is the union between you and God. You're not a worker in the throne room of God that's got the privilege to overhear the communication between the Father and the Son. You are sitting on the board. Amen. You are in the Godhead with Him included into who God is, into His kind of life. Now, if we say that God is love, and God was love long before the foundation of the world, okay, and we say He is love, we can't say someone is love unless He's loving someone. We can't say God is word unless He's speaking. So in other words, to who does He speak? Who, did he, who does he love? If he was the first, crea the first, or, I mean, it's difficult to explain this, but it, it is, he was from ever. He, he just existed. In his existence, before angels were made, or before heaven was even created, before there was anything like a creation, when God existed, um, he was love. He was a person that could stand in awe of another person. So how could it be defined outside of the, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and this family so unified, living in love with each other, you know, um, it can't be defined outside of that. If you say somebody speak, to who does he speak? If you say somebody loves, who does he love? So God the Father... And this is the wonderful thing. And if we go and look at, at the Trinity, when He made man, this is what He said. He said, let us make a man. Who was He talking to? The Bible says, first He says, God made the animals, and the animals was after their own kind. They were not after God's kind. They were after their own kind. But when He made a man, He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then He said, there's a wonderful thing. And then He made man. Male and female, made he them. <laughs> you know, there's so much depth in that verse. And when we start to understand those things, oh, glory to God. You know, one of the biggest curses that ever came to the church is this. That intellect was confused for unbelief. And it left the church stupid. <laughs> really. Last, yesterday I put on Facebook, the deepest love I've ever experienced was not when something weird happened to me or when something was given to me. When I got a house or when I fell over under the power or when I laid my hands on a dead man and he stood up and, and, and became alive or laid my hands on a guy in a wheelchair and he came up and, and he walked. No, the deepest emotion of love I've ever experienced came from clear-cut revelation Hallelujah. of who God is. 
and how we function and how I'm included into that kind of life. That's the deepest emotion of love that I've ever experienced is in that. So when we look at the way God made man, He said, he said let us make a man in our image and in our likeness. Um, the, the basic principles on which, by which God the Father and the Son, when we look at when, when the Son was on the earth, or Jesus, and how He prayed to the Father, He spoke from unity. He says, I pray that they will be one with us as we are one. So He, he says, God is one. And he, then He says, we are one. Okay, so He functioned from a platform of, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Such a union. There was a love for the Father. And the Father loved the Son. He was well pleased with the Son. He, he, he functioned from principles like love, faith, belief. A willing heart to know and to be known. So, these are very important things. And, and I want you, I know in the beginning it can sound a little bit confusing, but it's going to be such an awesome thing when we see this revelation. The, the principles by which God functions, the biggest principle is love. Okay? The love between the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's the biggest thing. And then it is called belief. To believe in. You know, relationship cannot be defined outside of believing in the other person. The Father believes in Jesus. And Jesus believes in the Father. And the Spirit of God is also personified many times in the Bible. He's a person. He believes in the Father and believes in the Son. There is a belief between the three of them. They, they, they function from belief. They believe in each other. And without belief, there can be no relationship. You have to believe in someone to have a relationship. Imagine, Eliana's there, but I cannot believe in her. I've said that many times. If I cannot believe in her, there's no relationship. So, the basic building blocks in the, in, in the whole Trinity is belief. I think that's why, you know, you will go and look in the Old Testament, you will see that the word faith and believe and believed combined in the Old Testament is used 43 times. In the New Testament, it's used 463 times. Because under the law, belief was stolen from us. We couldn't believe in God anymore. And I'm going to explain how that happened. People couldn't believe in, but when Jesus came, He restored man and took away all our guilt so that we can now believe in. And this is what, what I feel. This is my revelation. I feel the Father and the Son... And the Holy Spirit said, let us make a man. And this is how it happened. Yesterday in the car, I said it to Eliana. It was like, imagine we only had one son. Okay? And then the two of us, you know, and we had, with him, had a wonderful relationship. We love each other. We are a family, like, when people from the outside look at the family, they say, man, that family is really one. They're in unity. They, man, they love each other. And we believe in each other. We love each other. We trust each other. We are open to be known by the other person. We want to share our heart. It is not a master-slave relationship. It is a relationship where the one honors the other one, sees the other one for who he really is, and opens himself up for the same kind of relationship to, towards him again. Okay? So here we have this wonderful relationship, and this is what we say. We say, listen... We've got such a high quality of life that it's unfair that we are alone. This kind of quality of life cannot be shared only with us. Let us make a man. And we make him in our image and in our likeness. And then we bring him into this relationship so that he can experience the same quality of life that we experience. It's like, I would say to Helena, let us adopt a child. Because, my goodness, you know, we only have one. Let us bring someone else in here. The only place for that child that we adopt would be a son. Because I've got a son. The only way that that child will have our quality of life is if I make him a son. Yes, Unless he's a son, he cannot have that same quality of life. So when God made Adam and Eve, this is what He said. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And listen to what He did. He says, and He made them. 
male and female. Now what does that mean? That means even Adam in his function functions like God. He wants to have somebody that can experience his kind of life. It's like I said many times when I'm in a beautiful place uh, in the world. I was, I was in Chicago and uh, the, the sun was just coming up over the city and I saw downtown there and the lake and everything and, and the sun was rising. It is beautiful and everything but the problem is I'm alone. I need somebody that's of my kind that can experience what I'm experiencing. So God said it's not good for man to be alone as what, as, as, as what it was not good for God to be alone. And He says let's make a man that he can experience our kind of life, our quality of life, that he is a being that desires to have fellowship, that he is a being that desires to love and to be loved. And He made man and He blew the breath of life into man which was the Holy Spirit, and He included man into the Trinity. So that we can have the kind of fellowship that the Father has with the Son. So we, now, now I don't say we are Jesus, but what Jesus is to the Father is what you are to the Father. What Jesus is to the Father is what you are to the Father. And without this, this platform of fellowship and union, we cannot interpret Scripture. It will be difficult to interpret Scripture because if our platform is what I need to do for God, what I need to do for the church, what I need to do for myself, how I need to love God, how I need to love the church, and how I need to love myself, how I need to worship God, you know, the kind of relationship that Jesus has with the Father cannot be defined in those terms. There's no such a thing in heaven as how much the Son must love the Father. There's no such a thing in heaven as what the Son must do for the Father or what the Father must do for the Son or the Spirit must do for the other one. No. They are so in unity that what the one thinks the other one knows as his own thought. In other words, I believe when the Father said, let's say the Father said, let us make a man. The Holy Spirit didn't think, what is this foreign thought? You know, let's talk about it. No, when the Father was thinking of it, it was immediately a thought in the Spirit of God. It was a thought inside Jesus before He was even in, had a physical body. It was inside Him. It was a union. And that's why the Bible says God works in us to will and to do. Because His will becomes our will. Because we've been unified with Him in Christ with a union that is higher than what we can even comprehend. And, and I want to say this. It's higher than what we can comprehend from a law perspective. Once you get into grace, this becomes your understanding. It is, it is, it is easy uh, uh, to, to, to understand. So the way God, God functions is by, the, by, by love. And He's this perfect family and He wanted to make man and He says let us adopt man into this family. Now, how, when we look at the fall of Adam and Eve, this is what the scripture says. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And He said unto the woman, Yes, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know. So he gives a reason. For God does know, in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, you shall be as gods, or as Elohim, or Elohim in the, in the plural, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and was pleasant for the eye, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took off the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew, or experienced, that they were naked. They knew their nakedness. They experienced their nakedness. And they uh, sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. So, what happens here? This is a very beautiful thing. Before Adam could partake of the law, the relationship between Adam and God had first, first basically had to end. And the only way for it to end was this, if he could not believe in God anymore. So God came and said to Adam, Adam, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
but rather eat of any other tree, even a tree of life, but don't eat of that, for the day you eat thereof you will die. What does Satan come and what does he do? He attacks the core of existence, the core that links him to God's kind of life, which is belief in God. To believe that God is not hiding anything. To believe that God uh, um, opens His whole being unto you. It's belief, it's faith. That's why Satan always had an issue with faith, because that is what that is the beauty in the very Trinity. It is faith, it is belief. The Father believes in the Son, the Son believes in the Father. That's why he wanted to bring in something called the law, because the Bible says the law is not of faith. Yeah. Right. So he first brought a something in the mind of man that that he doubts God, it brings a question mark over who God is, over the very person of God. Saying God, you know, when somebody comes to you and say, listen man, you know, it's like the, the oh hallelujah, you know, somebody came to me and said to me, Barry, did you see your son has got a girlfriend? Because she had a picture on Facebook, on Facebook where they were standing with a girl. I say, I didn't see it, but he says, yes, they say, yes, it's a pretty girl. What do you say about it? I say, thank God he's not gay. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if somebody comes and he would say, you know, I saw a picture of your son smoking marijuana. What it will bring is, it will bring a doubt in my heart about who he is. Because that's not the picture of what I have. But yes, somebody else comes with some facts and some information that wants to bring me, bring doubt in my mind. It wants to uh, uh, affect my heart. I mean, the union I have with my son is in, the, is in what I believe about him. Yeah. That's, the, that's the union. Every human being with anything you ever connected is 100% related to what you believe about that thing. Yeah. That's it. The way I'm connected to Helena is all about what I believe about her and what she believes about me. And Adam was created by God and God, uh, and, and now listen, when God made Adam, he said to Adam, Adam, this is what he basically said, Adam, you dust, okay? And all the life you have in you is our kind of a life. This life is a life of love and belief and all those kind of things. This is eternal life. Forget eternal as, as in the time form. See eternal as a quality. You've got the God quality of life. We give it to you. It is by the Spirit and this relationship we have with each other. You've been included into this. We've, I've made you like that. I'll come in the cool of the day and we'll fellowship with each other. We'll talk to each other. And the whole thing was based on belief and love for each other. We can see it the way the Father dealt with Jesus, the way Jesus dealt with the Father, the way He spoke passionately about the Spirit of God, and where the Spirit of God will tell you the things about Jesus. A wonderful union. Okay? Adam was part of that. But the building blocks, one of the biggest building blocks there is trust. To trust. That's why it's so dangerous to hear a lie about God. Because when you hear a lie about God, you cannot trust Him anymore. And the moment you can't trust Him anymore, you're not experiencing eternal life. You're experiencing death and condemnation and judgment and all those kind of things. And then from there, once you don't trust Him anymore, then, the, then Satan can come and sell you any recipe to kill you. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. The moment they could not believe in God anymore... Guess what? Adam and Eve, when they were made, they didn't believe God for anything. They were in the garden. The garden provided for them. Who God was provided for them. They didn't believe God for food. They didn't believe God for clothes or anything. Their belief was in who He was. They believed in God. And the very person of God was that which gave them peace of mind for future provision. But the moment, listen to this, the moment they could not believe in God anymore, then Satan could tempt them with do's and don'ts. You know, I cannot be tempted to find my identity, you know, in what I drive and what I wear and where I stay. 
unless I first doubt that who he is is my identity. When you first doubt that, then you open for the other things. And this is what Satan did. And then Adam and Eve, you know, they didn't believe anymore, and then they partook of a system called the law system, which we've spoken about so many times here, which brought forth death. They found their identity in their ability, even the ability they had by the very Spirit of God. They found their identity in that and say that they divorced themselves from that wonderful relationship based on belief. Believing in the other one. The problem was, if they just did that, God could have come, before even eating, God could have come and reaffirmed who He was and their belief could be restored. But unfortunately, Adam implemented another system on behalf of man. And he said, God, a man will be like God, not on the basis of trust, belief, love, or anything like God, but man will find his ability, his, his life will be found in, in, in what he can do. So when he did that, you know, and he implemented that system, not even God could override man. Now let me explain to you why. When God decided to make a man, he was sovereign. Sovereign means nobody needs to tell me, I do whatever I want. He made a man. But if you had to make man in his image and in his likeness, man had to be sovereign as well. Meaning man also has the ability to decide if I want to be part of something or if I don't want to be part of something. So here was a man that had the ability to be, have, stand in a relationship with God, believe in Him or not believe in Him. And here was a God who also was sovereign. He's got a choice. He's got a will. And this man decided by his will, as the representative of all of man, that man will not have God's quality of life based on union with God. And he implemented another system, and from there men died. Then God came in Christ, we will know the whole story, incarnated himself into that man of death, and then died the man of death, rose up in a new kind of a man called the resurrected human, human being Jesus went and sat in the Godhead as a human being representing every man being the way unto the God kind of life listen the fact that Jesus stood up and sits on the right hand of the Father doesn't mean every person has that quality of life because that quality of life is based on belief Amen. It's based on belief. When Adam didn't believe, he was removed from eternal life. It was removed because faith, you know, we've made faith this law that we need to obey so that God can one day bless us. My goodness, if you say that, you don't understand the union between the Father and the Son. Faith is not something you do to get the other one to do something for you. Faith is something that unites you with the truth about the other one. If faith is a quality of life. You know, if I cannot believe in Eliana, we've lost our quality of relationship. That's why if one of the parties cheat on the other one, um, you know, even the Bible says, well, then you can get divorced. Because trust was broken. And the moment trust was broken, there's actually nothing left because trust and this love is what this whole relationship functions on. And Satan would hate it for you to believe in God. Not believe for God or believe even that He exists or anything like that. But believe, trust, have your heart at rest at the very integrity of who He is. He doesn't want you to have that. Because the moment you start to trust who He is, you find that His quality of life starts to manifest in you. Let's take finances for instance. The moment I, could, I had enough revelation of who God really is as a father... And I understood my union with him. And this was the words that God spoke to me that set me so free. He said, Bertie, as sure as what Jesus will have tomorrow. That's how sure you will have. That was God's view about my provision. And when I realized what Jesus is to the Father, is what I am to the Father, financial stress left me. And I came to a place where, of what you call eternal life in my money. 
I receive the God kind of quality of life when I think of my future. Did I have more money? No. But I had peace. I had God's kind of life when it comes to those things because stress left me. His quality of life, peace, the emotion of not being in debt that came and entered my life. Now what happened with Adam and Eve, now listen to this. They saw their inability. Adam and Eve, the Bible says they were naked. They were made naked. But they were not ashamed. What does nakedness mean in that term? Nakedness means an inability to be like God by yourself. That's what it is. But they were not ashamed of it because they were clothed with God. So they were clothed with the glory of God. But the moment they said, I can't believe in Him anymore, and they saw their, who they were free from this wonderful relationship of where God believes in you, and you believe in Him. And where He loves you, and that love forms love in your heart to Him, and love in your heart to Him forms love in His heart towards you. When man was removed from that and he looked at himself at what kind of a being he is, outside of this kind of a relationship, he found he is naked. And then he was ashamed of his nakedness. And then he went through human effort, took thick leaves, try and make himself, what I put on Facebook there, made himself designer clothes. And today we've got brand names for these fig leaf clothes called breakthrough worship all night prayer all these brand names you know binding the devil spiritual warfare all these brand names are just these fig leaves where we try and clothe ourselves because we feel so naked we feel so filthy we feel so guilty we need to do something to clothe ourselves instead of clothing ourselves with the very trinity hallelujah And we are so proud of our clothes. Look at what I've done. Look at all these abilities <laughs> that I have. What we got right. And you clothe you with that. Because you're ashamed of, of saying, I cannot, I am nothing. And defining all that you are, clothing yourself fully with who He is. That was, listen, that was God's original plan with you that all that you ever will be is a person seated in Christ, in the Godhead, having the kind of fellowship that God has with the Father, or the Father has with the Son, with the Spirit. Having the very same Spirit that indwells God, that indwells Jesus, indwelling you. In the unity, the Bible calls it the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In from that platform, that same principle, spirit also means a vital principle or a life principle. Having the very life principle, the person of the Holy Spirit, indwelling us, bringing into us the principles by which God lives, called today the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, faith. That's the kind of things that the Father has between Him and Jesus. That is the things the Spirit of God brings forth. That's what He puts inside you. That's how, that, that is the God kind of a life. And we've made that rules that we need to obey to satisfy an angry Father. My goodness. That has got nothing to do with God. No, nothing. What a bad thing it would be to say you need to tithe for God to bless you. In the, in the conversation of the Trinity and the union we have with God in Jesus. It's blasphemy. It's a lie. We cannot even, we call that filthy thoughts. Dirty thoughts, a dirty mind. You know what happened to Adam? The first thing he did was he became guilty. And guilt, even when God, from His side, you remember God hasn't changed. From His side, He comes to Adam in the garden. What does Adam do? He hides from God. Sin consciousness makes Adam hide. And God, for 4,000 years, proved that it's impossible for man to partake of God's kind of a life when he feels guilty. None of the Jews with the best rule-keeping system, could ever get their mind to be innocent so that they can have fellowship with God. 
The moment guilt came in between Adam and God, it was the end of the relationship. The end of the God kind of a life. Because guilt gives birth to a certain form of life. As love gives birth to a certain form of life, or belief gives gives form to a certain form of life, so guilt does as well. And what does guilt do? Guilt does both of two things, or either one of the two. It will either put you into a place of performance. You feel guilty. It's like you owe your neighbor money and you can't pay him. Now you'll mow his lawn. You'll never mow his lawn under normal circumstances. But because you're guilty, a very good man is born. But the neighbor's love for you is not the father of your good action. Guilt is the father of your good action. And God has got no interest in having a relationship with you, in just trying to get you to live right. That's the last thing on God's mind. Is to try and get you to live right. God wants you to discover the platform from where He lives between Him and the Son. It is the platform of absolute innocence and equality. From there, relationship starts. So God said, and He showed all over the, in the Old Testament, that with guilt there cannot be a good relationship. You know, um, it's, it's like when I was in the U.S., the way things worked is, I forgot that they're going to paint our house. So I left Elena enough money to live the time that I'm going to be away. But then I was there for three days or four days, I don't know how long, she phones me. She says, I just want to tell you, the, the contractors are here to paint the house. So I think, oh my goodness, we need to pay these people, okay? <laughs> and now she's not going to have enough money, so I need to get money to her, right? So that was not an issue to me. So then what I did was, um, I, I post one of my cards from, from the U.S. here, because I had money in the American account. So, and the reason why I've got money in the American account is, if you're not in the U.S. for uh, more than 180 days a year, and you've got a job in another country, you don't have to pay tax. Now that's wonderful. You know, so I don't want to pay tax. So I keep most of my money there and it's legal. So I can say it here. So I keep my money there. So I, I said, okay, I'm going to, I left her with enough, but now I need to get, a, get her a card. So I get myself a card and I get another, and, and I post her my card. So she phones me. And it had to be here, say, like in three days or four business days because I used some express mail. So after four days, she, she, she tells me, listen, um, the car has not arrived. Now, all that she's doing is she's giving me information. She does not say I'm a bad husband or nothing. But when she said that, I felt guilty. And the moment I felt guilty, she could have just put the phone down. You know, because that was the end of a proper conversation. We could not influence each other anymore. Because guilt was influencing us now. Who I was could not influence her, and who she was could not influence me because of guilt. I felt guilty. I felt, I'm not, I'm sitting here in America, they uh, uh, buying me expensive food, putting me in expensive hotels, and all those kind of things, and I live here like a king, and my wife sits over there. You know, and guilt came. And the moment guilt came, it was the end of the conversation. It was like, now we're starting to argue over the phone. Because of guilt. So the only way for me, for her to see who I really am, and for me to see who she really is, is to remove guilt. I have to get rid of guilt. I have to, you know, after we spoke, go and think about the whole thing and think of what she said and think of the motive of her heart and whatever and get my mind to a place where I don't feel guilty, where I don't see an accusation, her accusing me, where I don't see her putting this demand of expectation upon me, where she just gave me the information for me to know it has not arrived. So maybe I could go to the and trace it, you know, or whatever could you can do to see where it is. And what she also said is, don't worry about it, let's wait another day or two. But this guilt, you know what this guilt did in me? This guilt uh, uh, got me in, a, in like a stress. So I went and I, I told these people, please take me to a bank. It was quite an effort. They took me to a bank. Then they had to get me to a, a 
some other, what's it, Western Union? And then I took cash and I put it in for her to get it here, only for the car to arrive a day later. All of, all of that born from guilt. You can't even think straight anymore because of guilt. So God knew the only way for us to have the God kind of life called eternal life, which also is forever, is by removing all guilt. So the fact that all guilt is removed does not mean you have the God kind of life. It means you can now have an open door to have the God kind of life. Which is now to start to believe in who He is and what He's done and believe in your union with Him. When you start to believe those things, when, excuse me, believe means to have your mind at rest at the integrity of God portrayed in Jesus, we find His kind of life called love. His kind of life called peace. His kind of life called joy. Flooding our hearts. Having God's quality of life. Jesus is called the way. This is a wonderful thing. L look at this. Man was part of the Godhead. Okay? Then man fell and said, I don't, I'm not going to partake of this life. I'm going to partake of death. Jesus Christ came into the body of sin or death and died this body away. Brought innocence to every human being and then him as a human being sat in the Godhead as a human. Giving every human that wants to be part of the God kind of life, the full righteousness, the right to partake of God's kind of life. So that we can preach the good news, the gospel of the innocence of man and the incarnation of the Son into human flesh. Now listen to this. And this human flesh, flesh seated at the right hand of God. Listen what happens when we believe. When we make use of the way unto the Godhead kind of life. We receive the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. We receive the born of God experience. I'm not talking about praying in tongues and, and the gifts of the Spirit or the empowerment of the Spirit to preach the gospel. I'm talking about the, the, the born again or the born of God. The more correct way would be the born of God experience. You experience a new life whoop, entering you. These days people get so intellectual they say there's no such a thing as a born again experience. My goodness! You want to tell me you've never been a believer in God and now all of a sudden you partake of eternal life and you don't know it? Come on, man. If you can feel a devil, if you can see a devil coming into somebody, you want to tell me you don't know when God comes into somebody? No, I experienced it. I experienced the new life coming in me and so did we when we first call upon the name of Jesus and we were then we made use of the way and when we are in there this is our journey to understand the family life of God the kind of love there is between the father and the son there's no hierarchy like he said there when I, when I'm in the, when I see the cross when I see the blood I don't see no hierarchy I see fellowship. Fellowship. And to me, this is the deepest revelation there is. Is man's union with God in a platform of deep fellowship, on a platform of equality. Listen, there's nothing. God says in the Bible, He says, Who will you ever compare me to? There's nothing. <laughs> we can't compare this to anything. This is unique. This is who God is. And for our brains, it's very difficult to, to sometimes grasp from a law perspective because we want to make God, this God seated high above, very difficult to reach, difficult to please. But He comes and when He reveals Himself, who He truly is, the Bible says, no one has ever known the Father, but Jesus made Him known. And He says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He's declaring the union of man with God in a place of fellowship in the Holy Spirit. 
So when we, when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. You know what? It's the same, very same Spirit that God the Father and the Son has today. The very same Spirit indwells you and there is only one Spirit. There is only one. The very Spirit of God. And He indwells you. And His Spirit becomes your life. So you have the very life of God. So all of a sudden, when the Father said, let us, God in a union said, we can't even say the Father said, God in a union said, let us make a man. In the same way, you know now, when God says, let us tell people about their innocence. It's not even for me a decision. It's my spirit. It is me. I want to do it. It's not a, a death in me, a trying to get victory over something or whatever. It's a new kind of a life. God doesn't want to help your old panel beat your old life. He's not interested in having an old life panel beated looking perfect. He's not interested in that. He's interested in introducing you to His kind of a life. As long as the world out there feels guilty, as long as what you feel guilty, in the measure of your guilt, you are robbed from life. Yes. You're robbed from life. Jesus has got no consciousness of sin whatsoever. And the Bible says through one sacrifice, once for all, He's taken away the sin of the whole world so that no man has to stand guilty before God so that the innocent can come boldly to the throne of God's grace. God's influence. That's what grace means. He influenced man not to be a servant a piece of speck of dust, but to be a partaker of the God kind of life. Hallelujah. The fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father does not mean everybody has eternal life. It means He has got, He is the way so that whosoever wants eternal life can have it. Look how beautiful this is. Now I'm going to end off with this. <clears throat> God takes Jesus, okay, the Son. The Son says, I'm going to incarnate myself into human flesh, and then I'm going to be resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, okay? From where I'll be the high priest of mankind, the representative of man. So what's true in Him is true in us. The kind of life He has is available for every human being, whosoever wants. But the fact, and this is how the Trinity works, you can't separate them, but you can't, uh, you, you can't separate them, but you can't call them just one. Now I want to explain it. Look at Liliana and I. We are one. We are one, but we are two. If you ever deny her for who she is, you kill her. So when we are one, we are one with God in Christ. So the Father sees the man, Jesus, seated in the Godhead. But the fact that He is there, He doesn't deny you your individuality. Because He's your representative. Because He treats you as an equal. It is not as if Jesus is the Son of God and we are now included in Christ, but we are the slaves of Jesus. No, no, no. He is the way for us to be in the equality of Jesus in the Godhead. So he does not override even the will of those whom Jesus represents. For he treats you in the same equality. You are the God kind. You've been designed from before. I mean, I mean, before the worlds were framed, God had one thing in mind. And that was that there will only be a relationship with you based on how he has a relationship in himself. You know, the first day, I've said this before I left here, the first day that God created the heavens and the earth and everything, you know, He worked. The second day He worked. The third day He worked. The fourth day He worked. Everything, He worked, He worked, He worked. But He couldn't, and then He says, at the end of the work, He says, and whatever He made was perfect. It was good. But He couldn't rest. The fact that it was good doesn't, didn't give Him a place to rest. But then when he made a man, when he made man, the Bible says, 
then God rested. Because we are God's resting place. You know, His original plan could not be found in the perfection of creation. It's like when I was in, uh, in university, you know, I, I started to go out with another girl and Eliana and I, we broke up because of a lot of uh, uh, church things and a lot of pressure. We broke up because people said, you know, that um, this, this, this relationship is not from God. And they thought that another girl would be better for me. So eventually I started to go out with this other girl. And I remember the day when I was in church, when I looked at this girl, you know. She wouldn't be a bad wife. She would be open to the gospel of grace. That time we were all under the law. But I'm sure today she'll be open to the gospel of grace. She'll be a, she's a good mom. There's nothing wrong with her. When I look at it, it was like God looking at creation. It's perfect. Nothing wrong. But I remember when I looked at her in church, she was worshipping God like that. And I was standing next to her. I looked at her. And this is what's in my mind is, I don't care how perfect she is. I will never have rest for the rest of my life, for I'll always wonder where Eliana would be. Her perfection cannot give me rest. Because what I wanted was her. That is how it is. So in the very same way, everything God made, doesn't matter how perfect it was, couldn't give rest because the Bible says the animals was after their kind. But He says, let's make a man after our kind. That we can, who we are, that we can bring them into this fellowship. And God cannot find rest outside of you having His quality of life. So God's not going to find rest when you're a slave. He's rested from His work. He's made everything possible for you. But His desire is not for you to be a slave. It's like my son. Imagine my son must think he's my slave. I can't rest, man. I can't rest. Imagine what's in my power to change it. I will not rest. I'll work until I've done everything possible for him not to be a slave. And that's what God did. He did everything. And then Jesus Christ went into rest. God went into rest. After Jesus died, was, rose up from the grave, He rested. He, he entered His rest. Amen. So He is inviting you. He's not telling you, I'll give you rest. He says, He doesn't say, listen, I'll just make you rest from the law and all those kind of things. He says, listen, I want to give you my rest. And God can only rest in the fact that there is someone that is in His equality. You know how good He is? God has got the ability to take dust and make dust have the God kind of life and enjoy it. My goodness! That's good news. That's good news. Imagine your life was so good that you said, man, I want something else to enjoy it, but there's nothing else. So let's take this nothing and make a something so that something can feel how good it is to have our kind of life. And religion has watered it down to servanthood and slavery and guilt and condemnation, trying to work yourself up to get God to smile over your life. I want to tell you, God was always happy. What made Him sad was to think that He's not happy. He wants you to know His joy in recreating man. You know the problem, the thing that Adam did was so bad that God couldn't repair it. He had to recreate. He had to recreate. We're not repairing the law system. It will never give you the Holy Spirit to empower you to obey the law. My goodness, He'll never do it. The Holy Spirit's purpose is not to empower you to keep the law. No, no, the law is not needed in the Trinity. Because design, who He is, is more than enough. The law is not the safety net for grace. I'll say it again. The law is not the safety net for grace. So if grace doesn't work, thank God we've got the law to get them right. God's not interested in getting you right. God's interested in you discovering your innocence 
and you discover his kind of life then his kind of life will manifest in you you'll find many things change in your life you'll find you have joy you'll find you have peace you find that his, his life manifesting in you freely stress leaving you you're not being defined by your circumstances and what people do to you Paul was beaten man sitting in jail having his feet in the stocks beaten broken bones cut to pieces ripped by the, the whips and he sat there and he enjoyed the God kind of life <laughs> that is a, I tell you those things don't come from a little revelation of listen if you confess right every day then God's going to give you the breakthrough that kind of a teaching doesn't have that power it's a death teaching Jesus doesn't sit at the right hand of the Father and say, if I confess wrong, you know, then, oh, my goodness, no. He sits there and he enjoys who, who, who the Father is. He enjoys who He is. And he enjoys that union and that fellowship that they have with one another. So the fundamental truth to me about Christianity is the fact that God is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. And He incarnated himself into dust so that dust could have the access to his quality of life treating dust in his equality giving dust a free will to be a partaker of who he really is you know God's not going to force anybody into that life because force cannot bring forth that life it's a free heart that believes this now I want to invite you and people that watch by the internet maybe you're watching my video for the very first time maybe this you watch this 10 or 15 years from when I preach this message but I want to say to you I invite you to the God kind of life and this is how you do it the Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord meaning that he rules over death he rules over the old law system and the system of disqualification and placed you on a platform of having no guilt so that you from now can accept him as your Lord and thereby be saved from the life of death you have and receive the Holy Spirit and be seated with Christ in the heavens hallelujah I want to end off by reading a verse in Colossians <clears throat> hallelujah oh my goodness let me just find it here quickly this is what it says it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and deceit after the traditions of men, after the basic laws of this world, and not after Christ. So you can be spoiled. Spoiled there doesn't mean spoiled like in you're spoiling your child by giving him stuff. You know, words have changed their meanings. You know, spoil, we've changed the word spoiled for bless. Spoil means to ruin. Okay? Don't be ruined through philosophy and vain emptiness after the basic traditions of men after the basic laws of this world and not after Christ for in him listen to this for in him he says don't be deceived man for in Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily now go and study that that out in the Greek this is what it means it says in Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead body that what fullness means that which makes God God yes, sir. that which fills God up that which makes God God is in Jesus in a bodily form and then if you read the Afrikaans it says there and you have the very thing that makes God full in you That which makes God full is given, is, is in a bodily form in Jesus. And we are invited into that kind of a life. It is in us. The context there is the believer. 
the, don't be deceived now, he says, by some people bringing to you this thing, that thing. Like I spoke to another lady the other day over the phone. She said, Bertie, I've listened to your stuff, but this friend of mine is confusing me because they are listening to some other lady that believes in, you know, the Smith theology. <laughs> really? Throwing stuff out of your house and all those things because that can bring a curse over you. My goodness. What brings the curse is you believing that rubbish. If you will not doubt, because this is what the devil comes to that voice. He says, God says he loves you. God says you're righteous. God says everything. That's what you believe. And then you come and you say, he says, listen, I want to tell you, God says you're righteous. But, you know, this thing opens a door that is greater than the protection of God and the love of God and union and fellowship. And this thing separates you from God's quality of life. Then you, th then you start to doubt. When you doubt what God has said, you'll be open for all kind of rubbish. But God comes and He qualifies you. I want to tell you, and, and think of this, you have been made fully innocent before God. But Bertie, I still feel guilty. You know what you do? This is a, maybe you, you, you've never heard this. Like I said, you've, you've never heard this over the internet. How do I do this? You go and accept this. Say, God, I accept my forgiveness. Because the human heart wants to do something. He wants, like when Peter prayed, a, a preached to the people, they came to Peter in Acts 2 and says, what shall we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. What does it mean? Repent, have a change of mind, have a change of thought, saying, I change of what I've believed. Say, I change today of what I have believed, and I believe this truth. And to be baptized, in the Jewish sense, means to wash away all other things you used to believe. I have this washed with the water of God's Word. I'm washed, I'm, I'm cleansed by the true gospel. Thank you, Jesus. You are precious to God. Don't let the enemy lie to you. No, this bad thing happened to me, therefore, you know, what's wrong? Oh God, where did I open a door? Or Get rid of that. There's another kind of a life that doesn't matter what happens, you can be happy. Not because you're trying to be happy, but because of some revelation of His goodness. Now, what, when I came through Canada into America, the, the guy there at, at customs wanted to take away my visa. You, you know, over there you must use the correct law terms. Otherwise they don't understand what you say. They said to me, what are you doing in America? I said, I've been invited to preach here. I should never have said that. I should have said, my church sent me to preach here. If you say, I'm invited, it means you've come to work there. You know, and you're making money there. You don't have a work permit. You must say, my church sent me. I'm a pastor and they sent me to come and preach here. I was invited. I'm here, commissioned by my church. If you say that, no problem. But say another thing, you've got big problems. Yeah, they shouted you for an hour. <laughs> That's their way of trying to intimidate you to see if you lie. You know, they've got their whole thing there. You know, when I was going through that, you know, even there, I was thinking, well, if they take away my American visa, then they take it away. I'm not going to be sad, you know. There's, not, there's other preachers that can also preach there. The purpose of preaching there is for people to hear the gospel. And I'm invited, and there are churches there. They, they, they cannot afford Joseph Prince, so they'll get me. <laughs> Somebody asked me to sign one of Joseph Prince's CDs. I'm the poor man's Joseph Prince. That's it. I'm the poor man's Joseph Prince. I mean, every man has got his Joseph Prince. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, guys, God loves you, man. Let's not settle for anything less. You know? I was thinking there, if they take away this visa, what can I do anyway? I can't for, I'm, not, I'm not happy because I'm preaching in America. And the wonderful thing was, I wasn't even stressed. I just felt the God kind of life. Because my being was defined by this fellowship with Him. Yes. You know? I don't have to preach full time to be happy. These things aren't, aren't the things that make me happy. I'm happy. A happy guy preaching. 
or a happy guy working. We get happy based on His love for us. Father, I want to thank You that we can be here together. I want to thank you that I can pray for every person here and even people watching over the internet. Especially for those that has never received Jesus as their Lord. They are still trying to work principles. They have not realized Jesus rules over death, rules over the law, rules over guilt and innocence. If you have not, if you, especially if you're watching by the internet, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord, I want to tell you, now is the time. You feel the prompting of God's Spirit inside you. You feel the union that there is between you and God in Jesus. And you are saying, I feel that there's something that connects me to God, but I've never accepted this. And I come right now and I accept it. I want you to accept that. Say, I repent of my old way of belief and I receive Jesus as my Lord. And right there you will receive the Holy Spirit and the God kind of life. And you'll, you will be ignited you'll, by the Holy Spirit living in you. And you'll be on the path of discovering the family life of the Trinity. Thank you, Lord. Thank Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anybody that needs prayer, I'll pray for you. I want to thank you for your generosity. You know, even when Johan was here, I want to tell you, thank you guys for how you gave. It was wonderful to just um, bless him with a good amount of money. Uh, I'm proud of you uh, for your generosity. That's just so freely. God bless you guys. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, I'll pray for you.